Thanks for caroling with us this morning. Let me call us to worship. We're going to do a little different this morning because we're going to let the choir lead us afterward. But please stand if you're able while I call us to worship. And then I'll have the congregation be seated while they lead us in the next part. It says from Psalm 68, not Matthew 18, Psalm 68, 4. Come sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Amen. You may be seated, and it's good to see everybody uh, here this morning. I know it's going to be a busy day today, and I don't have time to go through all the announcements and prayer requests that we have, but I do want to mention some. I know as Christmas fast approaches, it's a time of the year in which so many of us uh, go through all kinds of traveling and changes, and as we've mentioned before, it can be a very disheartening time of the year for many, uh, and so we want to mention a few of the things or some of the faces or people that you may have been missing for a while, and, and why, and where they are. And so bear with me this morning as I share some of those with us as we go to a time of prayer. But let me begin by looking at the announcements. You have the bulletin before you, but I do want to clarify a few things. Tonight we do have our pageant at 5 o'clock. It'll be here. The kids will lead us in a short pageant. It doesn't take very long, but if you would come and just support them, they're going to lead us in a short time. And then after that, the youth still have their... Uh, time together tonight. The youth normally meet at 6 o'clock. They're going to have, I think, a Christmas party tonight. Um, and then I think there's a, a shower that's going to take place with, for Stacy or Abigail, our daughter, that some of the ladies have arranged. The elders will be meeting downstairs. They'll have a chance to still do their second part. They're going through another part of Calvinism with uh, Dr. Ken Abbott. Um, but parents, I need your help. Tonight, there is no children's program. They will have been watching your children most of the day today. They will be glad when the pageant is over uh, to be able to set them free. But, but parents, if you are here or you have youth or others in other programs, I need your help. Tonight is not the night to just set the children free to let them roam in the basement because we will have classes going on. We will have showers going on and training for other things. So parents, please help us. If you are able, parents, we need you to help watch your children or find a way to get help with that so that it's not a free-for-all because, again, the Children's Grace kids will not be meeting tonight afterward. So please don't just leave your children thinking they'll be attended. They will be, but they'll be in handcuffs and along the sides of them. <laughs> just kidding. We won't do that to them. But it's going to be a wonderful day as we go forward. Next week is a busy week as we close in. It's been good to have people light the candles. Nick and I will be traveling both uh, for the next several weeks. I'll be gone one. He'll be gone a couple. Uh, Brother Phil's going to step in and preach for us and uh, bring a message uh, for us next week. So a lot's going on, but we know you're going to be in and out with your family, uh, friends, and visiting. Uh, but we don't want to forget one another. And it's a time of this year that even in my own heart, I begin to look back over the year. I don't know what you do in your family, but as a pastor, I look over the church. I pray through the church Regularly, If you've had a phone call from me that says, hey, I'm calling you, it's nothing important. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't care. It just means I'm going through the directory. And I've been praying for you, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And if there's something you can uh, share, I'd be glad. If not, if I don't hear from you, that's okay. But as I look back over them, some of you may be saying the same things, like, whatever happened to them? And what happened to them? And I haven't seen them. And so this morning as we get ready to pray together, and we have a prayer list in front of us, but let me give you a few names this morning that we want to be praying for and lifting up. You may not know some of these, but for those of you who've been here, these are names that have been a big part of this church. 
they have now either been moved into assisted living or they have chosen to move closer to family and to live with family or are needing medical help at a certain level and so they have moved on and so let me just mention a few names uh, why they are not here amongst us one would be the jewels so keith and loren jewel they have moved to north carolina and uh the other would be uh liz waday who has moved to an assisted living place uh to live uh, ann panning has also uh, moved and got a place where she can stay. Patricia Packett has moved in and is now in a place for senior living. Evelyn Fitch, who has moved to be with her son and to live with him. Leon and Bev Johnson, who are still in the same place, but have, many of you maybe never met, are still uh, shut in and together. Dick and Donna Littlefield, uh, they're in assisted living. Um, Dick Littlefield has been placed in a separate room. Uh, he has been in the hospital, but he is now back at place, for those of you asking, but is in a separate room. And so if you would just lift them up tremendously um, as they work through getting him back in stable. Uh, Donna Weber, as we buried her father, Ralph, uh, this past week. And also for Zinnia Bedminster, who has gone in Colorado, will be back, um, went to bury her grandfather. So as we look through so many of these, um, some of them you're asking, where are these people? We haven't seen them. And folks, we rejoice that they're able to move, to be closer to family, to move into facilities where they can have extra help and the care they need. But we also miss them. If you haven't seen them, they're still in the directory. They're still a part of our family. And feel free at any time to call them, let them know you miss them. We miss them. We pray for them. And this Christmas, it may be one of the first Christmases for them that they're not with their church family as they have been for years and years and years. And so we want to remember and lift them up as well. So I know you have your own requests, your own uh, emergencies that we've been through. We do want to uh, continue to pray for those who are going through treatment, those who have been sick and out of the hospital this past week. But let's take a moment and just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to not only be with us, but to be with our extended family as they have been uh, leading God's will in their life as they've been led to other places. And then if you would join me in the Lord's prayer, we'll continue on. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning as we rejoice, we thank you for the clarity and the wisdom that you give us of your will. The Lord, hindsight, we can see how you've worked. We can look back and see that there was really no reason for us to worry at all. There was no concern for us to not be a part of what was happening. For all along, we see how you have played it into perfection once again. But yet, Lord, it hurts as we look back and we miss the ones we love. Uh, we regret some of the decisions and the things that have caused uh, relationships to be broken or hurt. And yet, Lord, as you have worked so willingly and diligently in the past, as we see, we trust that you'll do the same going forward. That you'll continue to take care of our church members who have now gone to other places. That you would continue to be with doctors and family members and allow them to feel loved and cherished. And Lord, instill within us the desire to still reach out 
to let them know that we're praying for them, that we still care for them, and that we're here for them if they need us. Lord, I do thank you not only for them, but for our church family here, for all the work that's gone on this past year, for the times that we've tried to put ministry first, to give families a place to come and hear the truth, to give people a place to come and find comfort and, and healing for their relationships, for guidance in their decisions at work, for correction as we've willfully chosen to disobey your will. Lord, help us through this season rejoice once again that you loved us enough that you would give your only begotten son that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, it's because of him that we're able to come boldly to the throne of grace, praying as you taught us in your word, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue through worship, you'll have a bulletin to be a part of. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. And there is a, a card there in the pew that you could fill out that we would have a record of your visit. On the back side of that is also a prayer request that if you have something that you would like us to be praying for, if you would, please just fill that out, place it in the offering plate later in the service, or place it on one of the welcome tables in the foyer, and we'll be glad to pick that up, and we will have a record of your visit and an ability to minister to you as we go forward. At this time, as we've been led by our seniors in high school so far to come and lead us in our candle lighting, this morning we've had Denise. She's one of our seniors, and she's going to come and do our reading and light our candles for us. As we continue through our Advent season in the lighting of the candles, hope, peace, joy, and love, we are drawing even closer to the time when we recall Jesus' birth as well as the second coming. May the Lord use this season to draw you and your family closer to him. First, we relight the candle of hope. We are reminded that Jesus is our only hope. Next, we relight the candle of peace as we are reminded that Jesus himself is our peace. We now want to light the candle of joy. As the coming of Jesus draws closer, our Savior, our joy builds with our anticipation of his birth. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 18 says, Be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. The Israelites were reminded in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Habakkuk even prayed while waiting on the Lord, saying, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Emmanuel has come to us to bring us life and never-ending joy. It is our prayer through this season that you and your family will experience the joy that only Jesus can bring. If you look in your bulletin as we continue, um... We have a chance to do our confession of faith and our confession of sin, and uh, Nick would normally come up here and help us, but he's been under the weather as well. He's able to be here today, but uh, he's just going to rest and worship with us. And so join with me as we've been sharing together through the, the Westminster Larger Catechism. I'll read the question if you'll join in reading the answer together with me. What is that union which the elect have with Christ? 
The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. Well, what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's almighty power and grace, whereby, out of his free and special love to his elect, and from the money in them, moving him thereunto, he doth, in his accepted time, invite and draw them to Jesus Christ, by his word and spirit, savingly enlightening their minds, renewing and powerfully determining their wills, so as they, although in themselves dead in sin, are hereby made willing and able freely to answer his call, and to accept and embrace the grace offered and conveyed therein. So they ask, are the elect only effectually called? All the elect, and they only, are effectually called. Although others may be, and often are, outwardly called by the ministry of the Word, and have some common operations of the Spirit, who, for their willful neglect and contempt of the grace offered to them, being justly left in their unbelief, do never truly come to Jesus Christ. And what a blessing to have that fit right in as we will be studying today in Hebrews chapter 10 about what it means when you're playing with fire. Um, who truly is going to persevere to the end? And so as we worship and study together, we also have a chance to share our, confess our prayers, our desires and wants together. This morning as we corporately confess our sin, I'm going to give you a moment of silence for you to take and to confess your sin. And then if you'll join me as you hear me say, Most Merciful Father then you can confess together with me. But please take just a moment in your own time to ask the Lord and to confess your sin to him, not to me, not to the one beside you, but to the Lord. Let's pray. Most merciful Father, I have strayed from your ways like a lost sheep. I have followed the desires of my own heart. I confess I have transgressed your holy laws. I have neglected the things you commanded, and I have done those things which you have forbidden. But, O oh Lord, have mercy upon me. Spare me, O oh God, as I confess my faults. Restore me according to your promises declared in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And grant, O merciful Father, for Jesus' sake, that I may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And again, as we come to the throne of grace, we find just that, grace and the assurance of pardon. If you'll allow me, let me read to you what's found in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What a blessing it is to know that even though we sin and fail, our sins have been covered, but only in the blood of Jesus Christ. At this time, I'm going to lead us in prayer for the offering. And if our ushers would come forward, we have some baskets up here in the front to help with. But let me lead us in offertory prayer. Heavenly Father, we have been blessed. You have chosen to bless us. We've not deserved it. We've not earned it. We've seen your rich blessings in so many ways here at our church. You've enabled us to purchase the things we need to purchase, to fix the things that need to be fixed. We're able to help feed those that are hungry and to keep roofs over those that have no place. We're able to help clothe the needy. We're able to help fellowship amongst each other. Lord, we've been able to give to missionaries to share the gospel around the world. We've been able to support mission trips to go and serve in places around the world. Lord, you've provided for my family personally. Lord, it's amazing that you have chosen to gift to us and to bless us. Now, Lord, please let us use what we have, what you have entrusted to us, to be faithful to give back to your kingdom so that it might be used even more so according to your will. And we ask it in Jesus' name. I hope you brought your Bible along with you so that uh, you could follow along. In Hebrews, we've been studying there, and I normally preach right on through and keep moving. Last year, we took some times to do sermons. I know Nick has and, and Phil will, and uh, I noticed in one of the messages that went out that uh, Phil will be here next week. I will be back the following week, but I will take a break from Hebrews for one week. That is the one time in, what, seven or eight years that we get to preach on Sunday, on Christmas, and so I will be having a blast preaching about salvation in my Savior through the text. So if you have time on Christmas morning, come. I promise I won't be here but a couple hours, and uh, not that long. We won't have Sunday school or anything, but we will light the Christ candle as we celebrate his birthday together. Um, but for now, we're, we're at a hard point, and uh, I'm glad that Christmas is at this point in time so that there is some joy that you can experience next week. Phil will be able to bring you a little more hope than maybe what I can today through the text. Our writer of Hebrews brings us to a point where we're speaking about the full assurance of our faith, and I want you to know before we get into today, that yes, you can be assured of your salvation. When Satan knows you're doubting, that's when he'll attack. But you can know for certain that you are saved. We have that assurance. But this morning, what I want to speak to you about in Hebrews chapter 10 is just a crazy message. You can title it what you want. I've just simply titled it, When You're Playing With Fire. Because all of us know what happens when you play with fire. And so here, Hebrews, which is the book of assurance and warning. I remember many, many years ago when Gerald Borchardt, one of the New Testament scholars, 
at Southern Seminary wrote a book and it was called Assurance and Warning and it was all about an exposition of the book of Hebrews which reminds us that we have assurance in our faith with Jesus Christ and at the same time he warns us you better be sure you have faith in Jesus Christ. It's not the warning that says I don't think you're saved, it's the warning that says let's make sure that our faith is in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, let me read a few verses, and then I hope to take you on a journey of those things that we face in life of why it is he writes us and confronts us about continually living in sin. Here's what it says in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 26. I'll read from the ESV if you want to follow along in the few Bible. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence or testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse the punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That is also a word you could put in some translations for the word judge, vindicate. If you want to put that there, we'll see why. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This morning, it's hard as a pastor when you want to confront things. I read an article one time not long ago that said, you know, if we were in the 18th century Preaching hell, fire, and brimstone is a powerful way to reach people. But in the 21st and coming 22nd centuries, we need to stop speaking about hell and start speaking about grace. That was the article. As if hell only mattered in the 18th century. As if grace wasn't a part then. Folks, I would honestly argue with the article and say one of the problems we have today is that we have a bunch of church people that have no idea or clue what hell really is because we don't talk about that. We don't want to talk about the bad side. We don't want to talk about what happens when we choose to live our own life. We don't want to talk about what happens when we become the master of our own fate. We don't want to talk about the reality of what Scripture really says. We want to focus on the things that help us feel good, go forward, and enjoy this life. And the writer of Hebrews has many times said, you can do that. But you must do that under the blood of Jesus Christ. Or this is what happens. So bear with me as we're talking about what is known as apostasy here. The writer has said it many times. Those of us who are not in Jesus Christ. We know in Luke chapter 9 we are told the story where even Jesus writes and says, no one puts his hand to the plow, and then looks back and is considered fit for the kingdom. Though I don't know where you are this morning, and I'm in no way insinuating that some of you are falling back or turning back. 
But what I am giving you is the words of Scripture that simply say those of us who put our hand to the plow begin to claim something that's not true, begin to try to live something we don't really possess, and try to be a part of something we can never truly understand, and then look back to the old way of life. It's his words, not mine. They're not fit for the kingdom of God. He puts us on this track to understand what are we talking about when we talk about apostasy, not being fit for the kingdom. We're not talking about the person who sins. We're not talking about the person who has done something wrong. We're talking about the person who has utterly rejected Christ and the gospel. We'll find that out as we go through. It's the person who has rejected the work of the Holy Spirit. You've heard it said before, the one and only unforgivable sin is what? Is what? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid to say that, right? Because what if we've done that? Right? What, what, what if that does fall in our case? And then we try to justify it. Well, blasphemy is really nothing. We don't even have that today. That was something back in the New Testament gift when you could do things with the Holy Spirit and not use what he gave you, the gifts that he gave you, and so now you could be in trouble. No, don't water it down. Folks, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in many cases could simply be put into the case. You have, you have blasphemed the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the plan that God has given him through what is known as the covenant, the sacrifice of his blood, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you have trampled it underfoot and have said you have a better plan than God. It's your way, not his way. That's what we mean by blaspheme. It has nothing to do with one and only word that you could say once in a while about using God's name in vain. Now, I will challenge you this morning about using God's name in vain. It's not a sermon on the Ten Commandments this morning. But for many of us, we may not be blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but we surely use the name of the Lord in vain. And I'm not talking about a swear word. We use the name of the Lord in vain when we connect the name of God to things that don't make sense. Like, oh Jesus, what next? Oh my God, what am I going to do now? Oh Lordy, help me. You're attaching the phrases of the most holy to statements that don't even apply. We're using his name in what? In vain. Folks, let's not use God's name unless it's in a proper way and in a proper circumstance. Build the respect and the environment of what it means to be around the holy. Because the writer of Hebrews is now saying, if you're not careful, it could be something as little as using the name of the Lord in vain to eventually becoming the blaspheme and the trampling of the Son of God underfoot. The warning is, folks, let's make sure we are right with the Lord, that we understand the gospel of grace. Now, the Lord does promise to protect his people. 1 Peter 1, 5. Those of you who've been studying Peter before know that he gives us a lot of encouragement. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, you can write it down. I'll read it for you. It simply says, Who by God's power we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Those of us who are children of God know that we are being guarded. Greater is he that is in you than he that is what? In the world. Please don't leave today and say, well, man, the pastor said, I don't think we can ever be secure. That's not true. You can rest assured in your faith, but it's because you're resting assured in the grip of God's grace. It's him holding on to you. It's nothing to do with your works and your ability. Nothing can separate you from God and his love. 
We find that in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and following, when we find out that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Height nor depth, things present, things to come, principalities and powers. He lists them all there. You are safe and secure in Christ. The warning, are you in Christ? There is security there. We've said it earlier in the sections of, of Hebrews. Listen to this. We've said it before. The warning is this. You must possess Christ, not just profess Christ. Anyone can talk about Jesus. You can read books about Jesus. You could read stories about what he's done. You can talk about how he's done them, criticize how he's done them, critique how they came about. Anybody can read about Jesus. One of the most published books of all time, the Bible, can be read by anybody. Folks, you can learn all about Jesus and talk to people about it. The question becomes, but do you possess him? Is he Lord of your life? Does he decide what it is you do? And then all of a sudden we realize that now comes the playing with fire. For what if we go on sinning willfully after having a knowledge of the truth? So let me work you through this as we win. Three things you need to realize. Well, Pastor, well, how do I know if I'm playing with fire? Well, first of all, I would say you probably know yourself whether you're playing with fire. But let me give you three things the passage tells us here. You know you're playing with fire in verse 26. It tells us when we reject the truth. That's how important this is. When you reject the truth of what's there. If we go on sinning deliberately after having the knowledge of truth. What you're saying is you know more than God. You know more than what he claims. You know how it works better than he does. You know how you tick better than he. You know more about yourself than he what you're saying is you're challenging the truth there, and that's why today we say all the time, it's not a fight over God today. You can choose your own God, have your own gods, pick more than one. People will let you do whatever you want. The fight's not over God. The fight's over Scripture. The fight's over eliminating the Scripture in the schools, the Scriptures in the courts, the Scriptures in our lives, because it's the Scriptures that reveal the truths. And if your God doesn't match the truth then something's got to change. So first and foremost, write it down. Do I reject the truth? It's the word hekousios, if you want the word that's translated deliberate there. Some would say willingly. If you go on deliberately, it's actually translated in the sentence of not being coerced. It's making it very clear that you're doing the things that nobody else has made you do. Nobody else has set you up. Nobody else has come up with the idea. No one has asked you to be the third one in a party of four so that they would have someone to blame, what is known as a scapegoat. This isn't about that. What he's saying is if you go on sinning deliberately, uncoerced, no one else involved, you knew you were wrong, you knew you were going to do wrong, and you're going to continue to do wrong because you're challenging the truth. Does God really know what he's talking about, or do I know more? And so all of a sudden, he begins to write it out here, this word only used twice in the entire New Testament, this deliberation, this intentional way of using our lives and our will to accomplish what we want in regards or disregards to what God says. 
He begins to tell us in verse 26 there, it's the knowledge of the truth. If this happens, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He says it's a reference thing back to the law of Moses. When we begin to talk about these sins that are done deliberately, you know the Old Testament. I won't make you go back and read it. You could go to Deuteronomy. You could go back to Numbers. You could read the law. We were known as the sins of intentional and the sins that were unintentional. The sins that were unwilling or the sins that were willing. The sins that were deliberate or the sins that were of the high hand or the sins that were done by accident. You could read the whole thing. We summarize it by simply saying there were the sins that were intentional and the sins that were unintentional. And if you read Numbers, the sacrifice was designed for the sins that were unintentional. To deliberately go against the law was to mock the words of the one who gave the law. To say that the law of Moses doesn't matter was to say the words of God doesn't matter. To say that the law doesn't apply to me is to say that God has no power over me. To say that the laws are ineffective was to say God does not matter to me. To challenge the words was to challenge the one who gave them. And to intentionally do that, do you remember what the punishment was? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Death. It was the punishment of death. It was deliberate. It was physical death. You can go back again in Numbers 15, Deuteronomy 17. Listen to it. How the atonement was made and sacrifices could be brought for the unintentional sins. This morning I ask you, what are you going to do with the sins that are intentional? I don't want to talk about your unintentional sins this morning. I want to talk about the sins that were intentional. You did them anyway. And you knew you shouldn't have. You said it and you knew you shouldn't have said it. You thought it and you shouldn't have what? Thought it. Yes. What happens now if we go on sinning willfully and reject the truth? There's no sacrifice that we have. How are we going to reject the law and reject the one who gave the law? How are we going to overcome that? This physical death, this unforgivable sin, this blasphemy of turning whatever God wants for us and saying we don't need his plan, we need ours. To utterly reject him, to abandon trust in God, to abandon our trust in the gospel, the message that we have. It's not about the commandments now, it's the gospel when we talk about the gospel of grace, it's not that we're saying what you did in the old was no good. We're saying now we have it revealed in the new. So think about this. For the ones who disobeyed the law, how much worse for those who disobey the gospel? Let me rephrase this question. How many of you know the Bible and it's still done differently? You see why it's so easy for people to say, I don't even want to read the Bible? If I don't read the Bible, then I can claim my sins were what? Unintentional. And we have a world that wants to do what they want, when they want, and how they want. And they want to have a reason to say, but I just didn't. So when you proclaim the truths and share the gospel and read the scriptures, 
the world begins to hate you just like it hated Jesus. Because you just turned their unintentional sins into what? Intentional. You just brought them into accountability before God. So all of a sudden, we begin to ask ourselves, well, wait a minute, am I playing with fire? Have I rejected the truth? Am I returning? If you put it in the context, what's really happening is you're abandoning trust in God, the writer says. You're abandoning the blood that was shed for the sacrifice. That's what it means here. There's no longer a sacrifice. And what you're doing is returning to the old system. That's what he was writing specifically about in Hebrews. You no longer want Jesus. I want to go back to the old way. Let's go back to the temple. Let's go back to the tabernacle. Let's go back to the sacrifices where I could just deal with things on my own and not worry about it. The writer says you're playing with fire when you try to go back. Because the old has absolutely nothing to do to cleanse your conscience, as we have learned. So we go on sinning. It's the present tense. Keep that in mind. It's the participle that is used there to refer the person that is continuing to do this. It's not the one who has done something wrong, repented of it, and changed. It's not the one who has found themselves in sin, unveiled the truth as they've read, and changed their life. This is the person who has the truth and presently continues on. Just letting you know you're playing with fire. Why? Because there's no longer a sacrifice for your sins. If Christ isn't the one, then who is going to be the one? Look at what it says, the last part of verse 26. He gives us a clear indication when he says, if you've neglected the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Look at verse 29. How much worse the punishment do you think will be delivered to the one who was trampled underfoot the Son of God? You see, the first time we realize we're playing with fire is because we've rejected the truth. Now we realize it's because we're rejecting the Son of God. They tie together. You can't separate them. The gospel is Jesus Christ. The truth is him. He is the truth, the way and the truth. And so all of a sudden we realize to abandon Christ, not just the laws. The thetos is the word that is used to be set aside. When you set aside the things of the law here, we're talking about willfully again, setting aside the things that God himself has asked. And again, Listen to what he says in these verses, 28. The one who has set aside, that is the word of Thetos. The one who has done this with the law of Moses does what? Dies without mercy. Unless or a case on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's why. The reason the whole thing comes in Scripture, and Jesus even uses it many times, is we need to have the witnesses of two or three. Because if you're going to claim that somebody intentionally has done something wrong, the punishment is what? Death. We've got to have witnesses to prove and to make sure that what you're doing, you've intentionally done. Because, man, there's no escaping this. It's a harsh punishment. To go on and mock Jesus Christ and to take his word and say it means nothing and to trample his son underfoot. The wages of sin is what? death. The little bit of grace that was shown was rather than just striking them dead, let's talk to some witnesses to make sure that they can testify this is what you intended to do. To trample your son of God under your feet, how much worse, he says, to intentionally disregard not God's words, 
but God's word. Do you see the connection? It's not just saying, I don't want to obey the laws, his words. You're now saying, I don't want to obey his son, the word. The word that was made flesh, that dwelt among us so that we could behold his glory. See, there's this fearful expectation of judgment when you trample under feet the Son of God. Listen to what it says in verse 27. There's this fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Folks, we're talking about what here? Yeah, oh, we don't want to talk about it. Never mind. We don't want to bring that up. Yeah, the truth of it is we're facing what is going to happen to those of us who are without Christ. We're facing the truths of Scripture, eternal separation from God, a place of judgment where there's no return, a place that you'll spend where there's a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, we could go back and talk about the whole thing. How much worse for those of us who have trampled under our feet Jesus Christ than those who didn't know. I wonder if it's really worth it. The word for fury of fire, catch this, mark this down in your own notes, put it somewhere, is the word zealous in Greek. It's the word that's used to show God's desire to prove his glory true. Today we use our word zealous. When we say if we have a zeal for something, you have a passion to prove it, to do it, and to accomplish it. What he's saying here is for those of us who trample his son under our feet, he has a zealousness to prove his way right. Galatians 6 would say it this way, do not be deceived, God will not be mocked, you will reap what you sow. God is not going to be mocked. You may get away with things here, you may think that you're going along, but you've trampled underfoot the son of God. You deserve the punishment of sin, which is death, a wage of a vengeance. Can you imagine this? Think for just a moment. Verse 30 tells us that we're going to face a God of vengeance. Can you imagine coming home to the presence of a God who is living and ready to be vengeful for your actions? Oh, I don't know about you. I didn't do very many things wrong as a child. I remember sneaking out with my bikes. We loved to ride bikes. We'd go to the Garden of the Gods. We'd come home late till the rangers would kick us out. We were able to ride back then. We didn't have sidewalks. We were just on trails and riding. We'd come home late, and we knew when we got home late, we'd put our bikes in the garage. We'd run down in the basement, and we would get a lecture at some point because we knew we were out and we shouldn't have been. And it was scary to think about how fast we could get the bikes around the backyard, through the gates. What if mom locked the gate? You know, were we strong enough to get the bikes over the gate, in the garage, get downstairs? We knew she'd still be mad when she found out. And then we'd get a lecture, but hey, it would be over with, right? Why beat a dead horse? You know, come on, mom. That was yesterday when that happened. Why would you worry about that? I'll tell you what was fearful. Is when dad came home from work early. And you were out joking with your friends, screaming down the street on your bike, no hands showing off, trying to beat mom. And when you get close to the house and your dad's standing on the front porch, you want to talk about a fearful expectation of judgment? That's the word of fury, the zealousness that's being used. You know you're in trouble and you're going to get it. 
because he's alive and well and waiting. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of a God who's standing there waiting when you come home. Boy, it changes perspective of the choices I've made. Is it really that important to get what I want? To do the things I want to do? If I have to disregard God doing them. Yes, we reject the truth. We reject the Son of God. And finally, he says this, the last part of verse 29, reject the Spirit of God. Listen to what he says. We've outraged the spirit of grace. Guys, when you do not accept what God's plan is for you, you're outraged. God sent his Holy Spirit back to bring conviction and truth. And you're mocking it. You're trampling it. You're saying, I don't need that. I don't need his spirit. I got my own. I don't need his son. I don't need his word. This is what we talk about in blaspheming and being utterly unforgivable. You can never be in the presence of God for eternity without this. It's unforgivable. You'll never be able to enter the presence of eternity and to spend eternity with God in heaven without the bloodshed of Christ over you, without the faith in Jesus Christ of what he's done for you. He took that punishment of death. He paid for the intentional sins. That's how much glory is there. Jesus didn't die on the cross and simply say, it is finished for those of you who didn't know what you were doing. It is finished for the mistakes that were made. The writer Luke in the book of Acts simply said this, man whom you crucified. This man whom you mocked, whom you scourged, whom you hung out to die, looked back at you and said it is finished. Oh, the Old Testament won't take care of the intentional sins. The sacrifices that you could bring in your obedience to the law won't clean your conscience. But Jesus can. Jesus has. And the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. Oh, I don't know where you are this morning. I could keep on going. Bubaros is the word for fearful and terrifying. It's the same word only used with Moses when he was on the mountain. You can go back to Hebrews 12 just a little bit later and even remind you that when Moses was on the mountain in the presence of God and he was there in his presence, do you know it's the same word that he used? He said it was terrifying to be in the presence of God on the mountain. And he was in a good standing. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in the presence of God and not have the blood of Christ on me. Vengeance is mine. And if he'll bring vengeance on the enemies, I wonder what it means when he says he will also do it on his own. I wonder what he says. The Lord will judge his people. Circle it. I told you it's the same word translated to vindicate because it is used because the judge does both. 
The word here, crino, that is used for judge is the word that's giving you the negative side of what a judge does, the actual indictment of guilty that's used in its context. But the actual word for crino, that word for judge, can also be translated to vindicate. It is a word that it says when God looks at us, he's going to do one or the other. He's going to judge or vindicate. He's either going to convict or he's going to acquit. He's going to crino, and it's up to you, right? Are your intentional sins covered? They won't be by an Old Testament sacrifice. They won't be by good works. They won't be by lots of prayer in public. It won't be by your Bible study class, and it won't be under the grace of your pastor who loves you. Your intentional sins are only covered in the new covenant. Blood of Christ. On the cross. Oh, I could give you a statement I read one time. It was amazing. It said this just being a part of the new covenant community does not grant you immunity. You better have the blood of Christ in your life. Just being a part of the church, visible, doesn't mean. You're okay. Lord, I repent. I've done wrong. I've rejected the truth. I've rejected your son. I've rejected the spirit of grace. And I was wrong. I want to be saved. I want to know the truth. I want to have your son. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to see you on that front porch waiting for me. Not for vengeance. But to welcome me home. And to reward me. Just for being your child. I don't know where you are this morning. If you've said, Pastor, I'm playing with fire, I've rejected the truth. I'm telling you, Jesus simply says, I am the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, I don't realize the truth, but I know I have trampled the Son of God under my feet. You know, the Bible simply says in John the same thing, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what, believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And maybe you're just here saying, Pastor, I'm playing with fire because I truly have scorned the spirit of grace. The same writer, John, reminds us in John 3, 5, Unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You can be born again. Wherever you are this morning, I would simply write to tell you, as so did John in the book of Revelation. Let me read in closing what Revelation chapter 6 says when the seals are being let loose.
Are you playing with fire? He simply said this, the kings of the earth and the great ones, all of the generals, all of the rich, all of the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks in the mountains. They were calling out to the mountains and to the rocks, please fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? I'll tell you, no one can stand if you've rejected the truth, rejected the Son, and rejected the Spirit. But you can come to Jesus Christ. You can have the truth. You can believe in him. And you can be filled with his spirit. And know that God eagerly awaits your return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again forgive us. Father, I pray for myself when I say most of my sins in this life have been intentional. Most of my sins have come since I've been saved. And yet I lose the battle so many times. In the frailty of this life, I've needed so much forgiveness and grace. Lord, thank you for giving that. The spirit of grace that my sins have been covered through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for judging me based on your mercy and grace, not my works and efforts. Lord, thank you for preparing me for that wonderful day when I will see you face to face. It will be a day of vindication for me. I pray it will be a day of vindication for them as well. I ask it in Jesus' name. the benediction and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and God's children said Amen. Amen. have a great Lord's Day